Hey, everybody, before we get to the meat of today's show, I'm going to serve up a little appetizer for you here and tell you about another libertarian podcast, another great podcast out there, hosted by our friends over at Good Morning Liberty, also known as Nate and Charlie. And of course, there's been some talk and some rumors and some things swirling about name mispronunciations and they might have called me Jack. I might have called Nate Nick. None of that matters. None of that matters at all. What matters is the awesome show they deliver multiple days a week. It's a uh, five-day-per-week podcast. They have an awesome segment coming up at the end of the week called the Dumb Bleep of the Week, and it is hilarious. It's a can't-miss. It's one of those segments that, you know, even if you're not listening to every episode, you got to tune back in. You don't miss the dumb bleep. So check out Good Morning Liberty. Go subscribe to their podcast, Good Morning Liberty. Check it out today with Nate and Charlie. We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And like I said last week, guys, for uh, the next uh I guess a couple weeks, um, diving into the criminal justice system, have some uh, very important cases to talk about of people who, uh, a couple of different situations. This week, we're talking about somebody who was out on compassionate release uh, due to the CARES Act and has been pulled back into the system. And I really, really want to encourage you guys, when you're listening to this, after you listen Please go to the show notes page uh, for this episode at lionsofliberty.com. Go to the show notes page, click on the change.org petition, sign that, and uh, please do whatever you can to put a focus and uh, shine a light on on this story. Uh, Share this episode, of course, share it on your social media, share it in your stories, Instagram, Facebook, share it on Twitter, all that stuff, guys. Blast it out there. This is very important stuff. So wanted to make that very clear that we really got to ramp it up uh, for today's episode, and you will learn why uh, very shortly. Next, a reminder, if you haven't subscribed to, uh, to this podcast feed, then please do it. I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, we have three great shows every single week, uh, starting with Mark Claire on Monday. It's debate month. It's debate month on Lions of Liberty's flagship program. Uh, Mark has been crushing it uh, with debates, so make sure you subscribe so you get uh, the new debates every single Monday delivered to your feed, and you can go back and listen to the previous couple if you haven't heard those yet. Every Wednesday is Electric Liberty Land. Brian has been... Uh, crushing it, uh, tearing in uh, to the uh, the mainstream narrative, the COVID narrative, ripping it apart, talking about current events, all that good stuff. He's had some great guests on uh, too fairly recently. So everyone's been killing it at Lions of Liberty. I'm a little biased. I kill it every week. But Mark and Brian too, I really think we've been bringing our A game. So if you're not subscribed by now, I don't know what you're doing with your life. So, and if you are subscribed, you're like, what else can I do to help? 
Go join our Patreon, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Get access to all those early uh, debates uh, that Mark does. Um, you get uh, early access on some of my shows when I post them early. You get early access to Degenerate Gamblers starting back up with football season. Coming up in the fall, we're going to be uh, starting back up Degenerate Gamblers. You get Conspiracy Corner when that is published with the Conspiracy Crew. Incredible content we have, plus all the merchandise, all the conference calls, and the all the other stuff that we do. Well, our bonus, our uh, patron program is insane for all the free stuff we give you. It's the best out there. You, you cannot beat it. Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Let's get into the show. Okay, today on Finding Freedom, I'm joined by Ricky Gonzalez. Ricky is here to advocate for his fiance, Raquel Esquivel. Uh, we'll get into the details of, of her case and uh, and what happened. Um, just to give like a high level overview, um, you know, after being a model inmate and serving 11 years of a 15 year sentence in April of 2020, uh, Raqu- Raquel was released under the CARES Act and she was reunited with her with her three children. She actually was granted custody of her two older children in March of 2020, and. Uh, in May 2020, she was hired and uh, started working for the for T-Bar drill, Drilling and got great reviews uh, from that employer throughout her time there. Um, because she was released during the CARES Act, she had to wear a ankle monitor and all that stuff and wasn't allowed free movement uh, and was required to uh, report in constantly with uh, the halfway house and all that stuff. In May of this year, 2021, uh, she was violated uh, from the CARES Act by the BOP, charged with escape, and the claims were that she wasn't checking in. We'll get into the details of what they said with Ricky here, but wasn't checking in on on, a, on the job site and whatever she was supposed to do there. So Ra- Raquel currently is uh, six months present, six months pregnant, and uh, she's the, they've they've taken her her back into prison. So Ricky, welcome to Felony Friday. Uh-huh. Welcome, John. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I just misspoke. It's the old name of my show. It's now Finding Freedom. Welcome to Finding Freedom. But it's great oh. to have you here, Ricky. And you know, this is this is a, a sad case to talk about. Hopefully, we are able to uh, you know generate um, you know some momentum and uh, get some people talking about this case. Um, it's you know tough to talk about something like this, but the only way to to actually get the word out there to uh, let people know this thing is happening because it's happening more and more frequently uh, with the CARES Act, and I think we'll continue to is to uh, is to talk about it. So, Ricky, maybe if you could just start out just talking a little bit about um, yourself and uh, your relationship with uh, with Raquel and, and how you guys met. Okay, um, well, here in this in the small city where we both are from, the same city, Del Rio, Texas. Um, Went to the high school through here after high school, left to San Antonio. So I had I had been gone for for quite a quite a few uh, years, maybe about seventeen years. Just happened to move back about two years, um, and, and I guess that's kind of maybe what drew me to Kelly. Um, that, that that's what we call her. Her nickname's Kelly, okay. um, Ra- Raquel. Um, after a year being here, um, I, I'm a provider for my grandparents. I live with my grandparents. Um, they um, have Alzheimer's, so I, I take after them and watch after them. Um, about a year after being here through a mutual friend, we happened to meet and um, just hearing her story, you know, just hearing her story and how she was over to over, how she was able to overcome that as she was able uh, re transitioning into society and just um, 
readjusting to just life outside. Um, mm -hmm. She had just been released maybe a couple months prior to this before we had met. We had met up July of last year. But just the, I guess what we were both looking for at the time, you know, a fresh start, um, kind of the simplicity of life, right? The simple things, the small things, just those are the things that kind of really drew us together. I always said that she was probably one of the most strongest uh, people that I've ever met, you know, just to see the resilience in her and, and be able to see how she carried herself and the faith that she still had, despite having to go through that long period of in, incarcerated. Mm -hmm. um, she Luckily, she has a great family that supports her. And that we're able to, you know, open her, you know, work on her back with open arms. And, and it was kind of like a good transition. I know that it was a little harder for her with her children being the fact that she was gone for so long. But they were happy to have her home, obviously. And um, she was just slowly starting to build in the very beginning, um, which is around the summertime of last year. Um, that's when we just, like I said, just from the moment we met, from the moment we started talking, it was just... We just never stopped. We haven't broke communication since. You know, it was just from just seamlessly from that first day, just the things that we we're both looking for. And um, that's why it's so tough and difficult because we seem to be, you know, kind of on that path of this new life that we we're both hoping mm -hmm. for and looking for, you know. Yeah, for, for sure. And so after serving 11 years of, of this 15 year sentence, which, you know, in many cases, people, Know, people get out in, in that amount of time, even without the, the CARES Act. So um, let's talk a little bit about about the, the conviction she had, uh, the, the conspiracy conviction. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about, about that? Um, from what I hear, because like I said, from, you know, my story with, with Raquel and Kelly kind of goes from the time she got out, right? From that okay. trying to move forward. But from what I hear, I mean, because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a small city, it's a local city, but apparently it was... Um, people that she might have gotten, you know, uh, around or somebody she was associated with. But by all indications, you know, she maintained her innocence throughout the whole uh, trial, throughout the whole mm -hmm. um, time that she was actually incarcerated. Um, and apparently the people that were in the case with her um, testified against her and therefore led her to being convicted of the of the charges she was convicted of. And, and, and if I'm not mistaken, she ended up doing almost double time as much as any one of those persons that got convicted along with her or, or at least part of that conspiracy case. Mm -hmm. So she definitely doubled up the time without even physically being present with any of the stuff that, that they were accusing her of as far as the smuggling was, was concerned, you know? Yeah. And th I mean, that's how, it, that's how it works with these conspiracy cases yeah. is they'll use the people who plea, you know, against, uh, you know, Raquel taking it to, uh, to trial. To trial. Yes. And, yeah there doesn't need to be any evidence. And I mean, people who aren't familiar with this, they hear it, they're like, what, that's crazy. You have to have some evidence. You actually, they, you need nothing. They just yeah. go on the word of these individuals and they could say anything. And yeah. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And like I said, and, from yeah. just, just from just looking at it and just from, you know, talking to the family and even Raquel herself, I mean, a lot of the things that she was being accused of or a lot of things that were being said weren't even presented in the courtroom. You know, it was just hearsay. It was actually mm -hmm. nothing physically presented as far as things that were told or things that were given or just anything that had to pertain to the to that case. So she was definitely against a big odds going going into trial and going against that, mm -hmm. trying to, you know, fend for her freedom, fight for her freedom. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, when when you when she um, was released on a compassionate release, really when when your relationship uh, began there, 
what was her what was her attitude like then did she was it did she talk about being afraid of, of having to go back or, or anything like that um i mean maybe like in in not necessarily afraid of going back but she was definitely afraid of putting herself in any kind of position right and i think that's why mm-hmm. as tedious as it was for it to make all these different check-ins and all the uas and just anything that she had to abide by she definitely made sure she went above and beyond and i mean she would always say like i'm just scared i'm scared of any kind of trouble i don't want anything to you know i just i just want to enjoy my freedom i just want to enjoy my life i'm just want to move forward but i know that there was definitely i mean you could imagine right after being the 11 years this mm-hmm. that hesitance and not hesitance but just that uneasy feeling right of something can go wrong so she definitely went above and beyond and not put herself in any kind of position for that to happen and i know that she was required to you know constantly call in and check in and weekly uas and whatever whatever was asked of her she definitely made sure that she abided by that mm-hmm. and, and she was working for what was the name of the company um t-bar drilling so what, yes. what was she what was she doing for them she was their bookkeeper Okay. Yeah, she was the bookkeeper for them, and then as well as um, kind of like do it like with the supplies, right? Whenever they needed to go off, and that's why she would go off with her on the job sites to pick up the supplies or just different areas from different locations that was related to the the where they were drilling the wells within that miles that they were allowed to. Mm-hmm. And all this was explained with the halfway house because even her boss had to go through the process with her to make sure that she got clearance because she was like, "I'm not gonna do anything to jeopardize you." But this needs to happen as part of your job requirement. But it was notified to the halfway house of, of that. And despite that whole year that had been the process, like they had been moving around from job site to job site. And Raquel was required to call in when she got there, when she left, and when she returned back to the to the to the job itself. So so what happened? Like did, did does she know? Did, do you know what the actual violation was that they're that they're claiming? They're saying on the incident report that we got, it's saying that on March 4th, she left the job site without checking in to let them know she was leaving. Um, and it, I guess they had her gone for less for about two hours. And then they have the GPS. And that's another thing. She had the GPS on it. They have her tracking, tracking her at uh, the ranch site, which is the job site. And then they have her back at the, at the job site. And about, it's like a two hour period. And basically what they're saying is that they didn't receive anything in their call log stating that they got a call that she checked in and a call that um, she checked when she got back from the website, like from the job site, when she left and when she came back. Mm-hmm. So they're technically saying that she escaped from a work detail. But see, the thing was, was that this happened on March 4th is what they're alleging, but they didn't question Kelly or ask her to come in to dispute this incident or even give her the incident report until May 10th, which is more than two months later. And in between that time frame, I mean, she had must have reported at least three or four times for UAs and just weekly checkups. So she was going mm-hmm. to the halfway house back and forth and still maintaining her employment and her job status and, and everything, carrying on as normal as usual. It's crazy. Um, I mean, I understand, right, the intent of it. They don't want people saying they have a job and then, you know, going and doing you know, doing other stuff and they're yes. trying to keep track of them for that, for that way. But... You know, it's it's obvious that she was, you know, actually working at this job, and you know, whatever happened, you would like to think, in a setup where a, uh, you know, where someone coming out of prison has a job, that you know, you would like to think. Obviously, this is not the way that that things are in reality, but 
that, that the uh, you know the BOP and the halfway house would be supportive in helping someone get on their feet and working with them um, around the reporting. But of course, that's not what what actually happens in uh, in our society today. So, talk about what what happened when she. You know, when she found out that that they violated her, was it? I mean, was it bam? Right? Was there no warning? Kind of going going right back. I'll never forget that day. I mean, it was on May tenth. On May tenth, about four thirty, on her way home, um, she received a phone call stating that, you know, that there was this incident. Some, I guess, stating that she needed to get to the halfway house and they're going to do some type of investigation, but she to go ahead and bring some hygiene and clothes that she might be there for a few days, and that was it. I mean, and then it was like you got to be here at six o'clock, and it was like I said, four thirty. And even though Del Rio is a, a small city, I mean, you think you're, t- you're talking about like a whirlwind of emotions, a whirlwind of thoughts, you know, and then her kids are at the house and the family. And that was the first time that I saw exactly maybe that, that, that trauma that it caused, right? For mm-hmm. the, the, the automatic tears of maybe what they might have went through the first time she left, right? The uncertainty of how long is she going to be gone? Is she going to come home? Is, is she only going to be gone for a few hours? And then to have to say goodbye to the kids again, oh my God, it was just so heartbreaking but at the same time you know we're trying to just get it with information that we can as far as um because we had just released this apartment that we're getting ready to move in on the 15th it was that friday so it's like okay well hopefully god willing you'll be we'll have this stuff cleared up but if not i'll go get the keys you know just trying to get logistics taken kind of taken Mm -hmm. care of while she was going to be gone um took it to the halfway house um about right before six Later on that night, they gave her the incident report stating what I what I said earlier about the that she didn't call in. And the thing was, is the next day she was allowed to issue witness statements. So she got witness statements from her boss, from the co-worker, stating that they were not only with her, but they actually physically heard the phone call because it was made through Bluetooth on the car while they took off to the job site. And um, she was also able to provide her call log on her phone sh- showing the actual calls that were made. One that was at 11.08 and the other one I believe was about 1.40, which is the, the time frame that they're saying that the calls weren't made. Um, so when she provided all this information and we were still in contact for those two days that she was in the halfway house, she still had this uneasy feeling because that they mm-hmm. did say, okay, this is it. This should this, this would be good enough to clear you. We don't recommend no punishment. But unfortunately, because of the shot and the way it was written, it has to go to the BOP and ultimately they have the final decision. And that's when she went. And I never forget it. That last text she sent me, she's like, "I don't know. I, I just, I, I have this uneasy feeling. I don't, I don't, I don't feel good. I don't, I don't feel right with with that with that statement." And um, sure enough, the next day we didn't hear from her until about ten days later. And by that time, they had already the marshals came, picked her up, and and took her, and went straight into quarantine at the um, at the jail she's currently at now. So, man. Yeah, and that whole time, like I said, we didn't get nothing, no phone calls. I mean, I think her mom was luck was able enough to get at least one phone call that she was going to go to the jail, but just to be able to get a hold of her and find her, they had her in a restricting unit because of the pregnancy, and then also the mm-hmm. COVID. They had her in the quarantine isolation. I, I think she said total isolation day she was in there was seventeen straight before they put her into population. So I mean, no books, no anything, right? Just just her and her thoughts and um, the nutrition part of it. I mean, she was, I mean, I think she said she lost seven pounds like in that first few weeks while she was there. And of course with the pregnancy, she's supposed to be gaining that weight. So I mean, mm-hmm. there was just so much, so much going on at that time. And we just couldn't understand it because I mean, she had the call history. She had the call log. She had the phone. 
She had the witness statements. I mean, everything that basically states that she was there. And even her boss was like, you know, I paid her for those hours. She's on the clock. I was with her. How can she be labeled as escape? How can she escape when she's with mm -hmm. me? You know, so it was very traumatic. You know, that week was, oh my gosh, it was definitely life-changing. And it's like I say, my life has kind of been on pause since that moment, right? Like you kind of have to like kind of put everything at a standstill and it just changes from one day to the next. Actually one hour to the next, you know, it just, all everything just changing. It's just very, very hard, very hard day. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine it. Um, you were just talking about, uh, you know, Raquel's family being being very close and sticking with her throughout the you know the entire eleven years she, she was serving. Yes. And uh, can you talk a little bit more about the, just just the emotions of you know with her family? And you said that she got to speak with her mother, but. Um, it's, it's, that's almost like, you know, going through like, like, like PTSD right there, re reliving yes. you know, yes. experiences yes. again. So what, what was that like for, for them having, oh, having to have that happen? I mean, it was, it was, it was terrible. And, and you could just see it in their face. As soon as I saw her mother, her mother automatically broke down her father, who was, you know, the natural strong, strong man, strong, strong person. And he broke, you know I mean? At the end of the day, that's their baby, right? That's that's their daughter. Mm -hmm. And having to already experience the 11 years and have her home for more than a year and then to have this happen, I mean, God, it was just gut-wrenching. The kids, I mean, I was speaking, you know, I speak to the daughter and to the son and the, the older two, and, of course, they have a different perspective now, right? When they were younger, they didn't probably, they were five and three maybe weren't going to happen around those ages, four and three. So they didn't obviously understand. And now it's like they know what's going on, right? So it hits them a little different. And it's also like a fresh feeling because they don't remember those feelings of that detachment. And now this is something that was just right then and there, one day to the next. So, I mean, it was hard for them. But the one that was probably the most heartbreaking was the youngest son because she had him in prison when she went the first time. So he was taken away as soon as she gave birth to him. So as soon as she came out, she was really establishing that, that bond with him or trying to, trying, to, trying to fix it and work on that because obviously she felt mm -hmm. like there wasn't that motherly bond, right? Because she wasn't there to, to nurture him in, his, in, his, in the beginning stages of his infancy. But um, obviously they didn't want to tell him exactly what was going on. So he was, what's, what's wrong, mom? Why are you crying, mom? What's going on, mom? And she just couldn't even look at him. She just gave him a hug and just, you know, walked off. And that, that was right there was a tough one because, I mean, he yearned for that, right? He yearned for the mm -hmm. moment because that was his first um, essence of his mother when she came home. The older two, not to say it's any different, right? But they at least had that fabric of her, right? Of 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 knowing of her, and and this was his first time of really embracing that, and and that's why when we got this this place and and where we're going with our future, we're getting ready to take them all to this new house and just start our life, you know. And she was very much looking forward to that. And like I said, five days before we get the keys, you know, everything just changed. You know, every everything just got flipped upside down. Hey, just a, a quick break here. I want to tell you about a new sponsor we have on the show, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. This is a family company, great people out of San Antonio, Texas. Really excited to be working with them. Uh, the promo code, if you go to their website, it's you get 25% off. Promo code is ROAR. Just enter that 25% off, a $75 order and up, and every order is uh, is free shipping, which for small companies, that, that's hard to do. So that's, that's an amazing deal you're getting here. Incredible products. I'm just going to talk about one of them that 
I mean, I'll be fully honest. I haven't tried these yet, but I have good friends who swear by them. And I'm going to be ordering this product. Really excited to try it out. I will give you the feedback as soon as I do. It's their eucalyptus lavender soft. It's, it's for muscle aches and joint pain. As somebody works out and runs, I'm really excited to, uh, to try this out. So you guys will hear my feedback. So for all your CBD needs, you're going to go to Paloma Verde CBD.com. Once again, 25% off with code Roar. Check it out. Obviously, I mean, j- just looking at the the impact on Raquel's life, you know, with uh, doing the 11 years for t- totally nonviolent crime, and she's you know claiming her innocence that she didn't even commit a crime in the first place. But I mean, just even saying if she did, 11 years is completely insane. And then on top of that, having to go through this again, um, the the you know the the chance or looking like looking like you're in, in the clear and your family getting to relax a little bit that, that, that yeah. they that they have you back and you're you're starting this uh, this relationship and she's six months pregnant to have that that ripped out from under your feet. I mean, this is the type of stuff that it, it's so so frustrating, so maddening mm-hmm. because. It, this is the stuff that, that is at the core of, of what is wrong with our criminal justice system. And, you know, you can rag on Joe Biden, which which I do, because there's things that he needs to do to prevent. This is going to happen to even more people um, when uh, when that order expires. If they do take back, um, people, more people will be pulled back uh, from, from the CARES Act into prison, which is just... It's insane to think about, and, and to think about all the all the pain that, that's that's going to come with that. Um, it'll be it'll be much much like what uh, what you all are experiencing. Yeah. Um, because you don't, I think, not when it doesn't touch you, right? You don't understand that it goes beyond the the inmate, the prisoner, right? Mm-hmm. It, the, the families, the kids, the loved ones, everybody that's involved, and I guess seeing that front first firsthand now, and then, and like I said, and thank God, I've been. I was kind of lost. We were all lost in the very beginning. We had nowhere to turn to different ages. Everybody just kept shutting doors on us. Like, we can't give you information. Can't give you no kind of information. I mean, we had no idea how or why she was going to be in there, how long she was going to be in there, anything. And um, just happening to just something telling me that there's something else to this, right? This this has got to be something going on. Um, so just late night Google, Googling and searching, that's when I came across Lynn Espejo's, um, mm-hmm. the Forbes article. And... Um, I, I um, listened to the a podcast that she was on, and, and sure enough, I um, when I heard her story and how similar it was the way that they violated her, how they enticed her to get back to the halfway house, and then took her to the the marshals took her. I was just like, okay, this 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 seems very similar. Maybe I could reach out to her, and maybe she'd be willing to help or at least give me some type of information. And oh my god, I mean, she was able to really, really been a major help in, in this, in this fight for, for Raquel. I mean, she's really advocated so much for her and, and just kind of opened me up to this world of just that this is happening to so many people, right. Mm-hmm. And so many other people out there living in fear or, or might not even have the access to know who even to, to look for, for help or to fight or be able to speak out, you know, that that's what kind of like really just opened my eyes to this whole the, the system itself and, and how they sometimes can bury you they bury you in there so you don't have any kind of access to nobody and you kind of get swept away next thing you know you're back in in your original prison and you've already been sanctioned you know it's already too too far gone to do something so it's definitely uh 
yeah, it's it's egregious, you know, just the whole the whole system yeah. itself definitely is. That's a good word for it. Yeah. So so where where does uh, Raquel's um, case stand right now? Well, what are the prospects for her getting released? And I hate to bring it up, but I mean, what's what's potentially the the worst case scenario? Um. Well, worst case scenario with and see that's another thing when she didn't get no information when she was in there until almost a month that she had been in, in, in the jail in the facility and the first notification or any kind of paper that she got was the letter basically saying that she was found guilty, that, that she, they sanctioned her and they upheld it. And that's when they took away the, the good time days, 27. So they even, not only did they take her back, they also even extended her out date. So now her termination date is March of 2020, 2022, which is next year. Um, probably like eight months from now. So that would probably be worst case scenario is if they keep her there, she'll, you know, be there till March. But that would mean having the baby in in the facility, which would ultimately be the really worst case scenario. I think with her mind state and, and what she's been through and maybe that my fear is just having to have that trauma all over again. Like you said earlier, just that, that reliving mm-hmm. that nightmare, reliving that history of having to have a, uh, the child in prison and, and taken away from him automatically. I mean, even though it's a shorter window in the sense of she'll be out a couple months later, I mean, that doesn't replace that that essence of being able to do that from the beginning and out here, right? So I would How does that, that even, sorry to interrupt you, but having a baby in prison, I'm not even familiar with this. So she had the baby in prison, like how much time would she be able to spend with it? How does that even, how does See, that work? This And this was, this was the, like I say, like this kind of opens up those old wounds, right? Because she was mm-hmm. she was speaking out as as this this process has been going on, and um, I learned some things that I that we never even got to discuss, and maybe it was because of things that she didn't really want to touch on. But apparently, when she gave birth, she was handcuffed to the to the bed. Um, yes, I mean restraint. I think now there's a rule in place where they don't do that no more, but at this time period, they still did that. So she was actually physically handcuffed, gave birth. Um, and she said that usually at that point, it, by protocol, depends on kind of like the guards or just the detail that they might give you a little opportunity to maybe hold hold them for a little bit. But they I guess they don't really want to establish, you know, that that bond or like, you know, just kind of that that be too much. Right. Too, too painful. That's so, I mean, that is so heartless. I mean, that's. Yes. And, and she said that she did have a good detail where they were willing to let him let her hold him, but that she was so just shaking and so much emotions mm. going on because I guess she felt that if she holds him, she's not going to want to let him go. Right. So she didn't even get to hold him that once. And then I think she said within 24 to 48 hours, she was already back in her facility. They just took her out, delivered her parents came and got him. And that was the last time she saw him until wow. the visits and all that. So, so, I mean, and even that, you know, just the, like she's only had, now two appointments. We had to cancel a couple appointments while she was out here until she got set up with the doctor in there. But like going to the visit that she's been to, like guards have been present in the room. So, you know what I mean? It just takes mm-hmm. away from that whole experience of, I guess, yeah. the reason why she was looking so looking forward to to what she missed out on, you know what I mean? And, and trying mm-hmm. to establish that. So you, you talk about March sort of being like the worst case. Would, worst case. Is, is there a path towards? I mean, is what's what's the hope? What's the what's well, the, mean, what's the best case? Right now, you know, we do have some things. Think um, the compassion release that that we're able to file, and 
um, some petitions that are out there and, and stories. I mean, just trying to kick any kind of pressure that we can to hopefully entice them to let her out or at least look into it, right? Look into her case. Um, we did send off two appeals. We haven't heard nothing back on the second one yet. So we definitely are fighting and definitely are sending things. I, I've, we wrote letters to just Congress people and just people mm -hmm. that locally. Um, and it looks like it's gaining momentum. So, I mean, hopefully we should hear something soon on that compassion release. And, and I mean, just need to touch that right person, right, to be able to see the injustice going on and, and set her free. I mean, even if she has to come back to the home confinement, just to be able to get her out of there and bring her home yeah. before the baby's born. I mean, that would be best case scenario is to, to have her home before the baby's born. You know, that, that'd be the, mm -hmm. the ultimate goal. As soon as possible. Yeah, yeah as soon as possible. So, definitely, yes. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, you know, writing representatives and, and whatnot. So is there anything my audience can do to help? Or are, are there specific names that, that you know of that people could um, should, well, should be writing if they want to? I do know right now there's uh, on the change.org. If you go on, on that website, mm -hmm. we have a petition that's um, basically asking for us to um, free her, to, to, to bring her home. Um, it's gaining some momentum right now. A lot of people are signing that. Um, I believe there's a, an article getting ready to come out about her story. Um, I know on certain other, uh, Lynn, especially Lynn Espejo, I mean, on any of her inside the walls and beyond pages, she has all her, all the information as far as her case and, and what's going on, the incident reports. I mean, a lot of stuff that's, that's been, um, posted on her Facebook, Twitter, and just all her social media. Yeah, I, I got the uh, the change.org here. I got it pulled up. So I, I'll link to this on the show notes page and also yes. send it out. Um, send it out when we uh, yeah. then, share, share the podcast on social media. Yes, on, 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 and they follow that one at the very bottom. It'll have the Midnight Report um, page with, with Lynn to get the the story, the original story. And then I mm -hmm. believe um, Amy Candu, they have the, yeah. she has a profile for her as well on her page as well. So um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of momentum and I can't think, um, these people more, you know, I mean, God bless just the, the help that, that, that they've been willing to offer her and just fight and advocate for her. I mean, it's, it's definitely a blessing for sure. And it keeps her, and it keeps her hopes. You know, I talk to her every day for, you know, but we take for granted what 15 minutes is, right? You don't, you know, you don't really understand what it is until you, you get limited to that, you know, daily. And, and that, that's another hard part because we get into our conversation and then, you got one minute left and you know, it's like, okay, we'll, we'll talk tomorrow. And you kind of have to ride that roller coaster for the whole day. And if she's okay, if she's not okay. And, and there's only so much you can get within that time frame. So, yeah. So how are her spirits? Generally? That's what I'm, like, that's what I'm saying with, with the progress that's been going on and, mm -hmm. and the fight, I, I truly believe we're lifting her up. Right. I, I can, mm -hmm. I can sense that in there. The first few weeks first, I mean, there was some pretty bad, pretty bad times you know pretty bad um moments low moments and, and understandably and and, mm -hmm. and that's another reason i'm so thankful for lynn because i'm able to get kind of that mindset right of of what the mentality might be of of how they have to guard themselves in a sense of to kind of keep feelings a certain place in a certain way and especially with all the hormones just naturally with the pregnancy right so mm -hmm. it, it's it's definitely been uh, a fight not not a fight but just it's been hard, right? But I've been able to keep. It's it, it's a fight. I mean, I yeah. it's 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 a fight. Yeah. It's a fight on all different fronts. I mean, you're yeah. fighting, 
you know, emotions, you're fighting, trying to, you know, live just, just you, I'm sure getting, getting through your day, like you were talking about, you're always thinking about what she's doing, how she's doing in there. The whole thing's a fight. I mean, it's, it's yeah, honestly, that's what it is. <laughs> and it's like a morning, you know, morning to night thing, right? Because there are certain days where I won't hear from her and I'm automatically thinking mm-hmm. just everything. Right. And then the next day she'll call me like, no, the facility went on lockdown because somebody was fighting or something. And of course they punished the whole pod. So nobody can use the phone. But yeah. there's no way of her notifying me, so I have to wait 26, 30 hours before I, I can finally put my mind at ease, you know. And So those are the things that are very hard, is just trying to keep your emotions in check and just trying to understand that God is with her and protecting her and keeping her safe. And, and I'm just trying to truly believe in that and, and stand on that. Well, Ricky, um, I'm going to let you go here in a minute. Um, before I do it, I just want to say that you know, when, when I've had people on in the past, when I've, when I've had on family members of, you know, people who are, are incarcerated, um, most of the time, I think almost everyone, maybe everyone now, um, I have them back on later uh, with, you know, with their, you know, spouse, significant other after they've gotten out of prison. So when uh, when Raquel does get out, I'd like to have you, you know, both back on the show because those are the type of shows I like to do when, uh, oh, when yes. you're on the, when you're on the other side of it and able to uh, celebrate and tell tell the good side of the story. So definitely looking forward to that, and I'll be praying for you guys. And uh, I'll, like I said, I'll share the uh, the change dot org uh, petition on the show notes page. Okay, and I'll, I'll really push this podcast out for people to share it around. Uh, before I let you go, is there anything else that uh, any anything important that you need to get across that I didn't ask you about? Or anything else, just in general, floor's yours. Uh, no, I mean that, that's just all. I mean, I mean, if if people can just you know take the time to go and check the page out and just maybe just sign and, and share it as much as they can. And and I, I really feel at this point, you know, with the momentum building, the the more we can get the name um, her name out there, in her case, and the awareness of what's going on, that I, I truly feel it can help towards the ultimate goal. So so any kind of um, help in that sense would definitely be appreciated. And um, at the end of the day, that's that's the ultimate goal is to bring her home um, as soon as possible. And and I appreciate everybody that's helped out this far, and um, and I know Kelly does too. I mean, every day she's just thankful for the fight going on for her. Yeah, well, you got the right people in your corner with uh, with Lynn and uh, Amy Pova with the Can Do Foundation. I mean, the work the work they do is just just incredible. So um, I'm sure things will turn out well. And uh, thanks for coming on the show, Ricky. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right, taking a quick break here. I want to talk to you all about my friend, friend of the show, Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man, and his new song. And uh, he's featured on a track with Intrinsic. It's called First World Problems. Basically, what it's doing is it's talking about you know, different concepts are woven throughout the track, you know, cancel culture, grifters, inflation, innovation, all kinds of different things. It's a really, really interesting track. Please go wherever you listen to your music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whichever one of these places where you listen to music, please like and follow Crypto Man, and please like this song, share with your friends, and it's just an awesome song, guys. So I got a clip for you. Check it out. Okay. 
Hope you all enjoyed that interview on Finding Freedom, another awesome guest. And hopefully you guys also have subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast and you're getting all three of our unique shows in your uh, little listening device delivered to your ears. Um, If you haven't, please do that. Just go to your app, you know how to do it, and subscribe. You can also leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. We would prefer if you did it on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere you can on the internet, please leave us a positive comment. Also, if you want to support us, we would love that too. Please go to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. You can uh, support us for as little as a couple bucks. Or if you get in at a higher level, you get merchandise and access to us and all the way up to you can advertise on the show or get to even produce a show. So check it all out, patreon.com slash lions of liberty. And if you haven't checked it out yet, please consider checking out the Lions of Liberty store where we have some awesome t-shirts. We have a taxation is death t-shirt with an awesome design. We have a wax on tax off t-shirt and we have our, our brand new design, our hands up don't nuke t-shirt. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. It is our best t-shirt we've ever made. So go to lionsofliberty.store. You need to buy this t-shirt. Hands up, don't nuke. It has a really dorky looking uh, redneck guy with his hands up. Hands up, don't nuke in big letters with the bombs pointed at him. It is phenomenal. You need this shirt at lionsofliberty.store. And if you're in the pride, you get a discount on anything you buy in the store. So you do both of those things and you win. That's all I got, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is liberty burning.